0: Welcome to another episode of Save the Track Bike, presented by Hexagon Cycles. I am your host, Josh. On today's episode, I have Gabe Lloyd. He's the voice of Red Hook Crit. He announces all the races. We kind of get his breakdown of his favorite stories uh, over the years of announcing Red Hook Crit. We get his take on the 2018 season. And yeah, it was just a really great conversation. He's a wealth of knowledge, so hopefully you enjoy this as much as I do. Let's just get into it.
1: My name is Gabe Lloyd. I'm known as the voice of the Red Hook criterium and we are here hanging out on Save the Track bike today.
0: <laughs> so talk a little bit about how your history with cycling and and how it led to being a race announcer.
1: Yeah, I was pursuing being a pro rider in America for a number of years, about 10 years really. And I, you know, I went through the USA Cycling categorized racing system and I eventually became a category one rider in cyclocross, track and the road. So category one across all three of those disciplines. Technically I'm a category two in mountain biking, but I don't really Consider myself that good at that discipline, <laughs> and um, you know, along the way, I was always—you know—I was friends with David. I was living in New York City. I—I I was attending grad school, and I got an email from him on the second year, and he was just like, "Hey, man, you should come out. I'm throwing a birthday party, and bring your bike. I'm going to do a race in the streets, and." I didn't know a thing about it. I'd never really ridden track bikes in the street before. Um, I did not know really what had happened on the first year or anything. I just showed up at David's apartment, and it turned out there were a lot of people there. <laughs> and, um, you know, my my history within the Red Oak Crit as an athlete is very mixed. But, uh, you know, I fell in love with it from the beginning, and I just sort of stuck around. And then at a certain point, As far as the announcing is concerned, I I wasn't really racing full-time anymore, and I was helping out a lot, and David had hired my wife, who is Casey Manderfield-Lloyd, so she's the first winner of the Red Hook Crit. David had hired her to run the inaugural women's event in 2014, which was that crazy monsoon of a race, and I was there, and David was understandably a little overwhelmed with everything that was going on. I mean, you have to remember everything that happens at Red Hook Crit now, at some point in time, David Trimble did everything himself. Um, so I was there and I was just like, hey, man, if you need some help, I'd be happy to jump on the mic and and do something. He's like, well, how about you and Dan Chabanov, like, jump on and, and, and talk about stuff and then you can be our podium Person at the end of the night. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I did it. And there was nobody really there all day because it was just pouring rain. But, um, you know, David Trimble's family is very large. And a lot of his uncles and his dad was around. And they heard me talk all day. And Jonah Burns was around. And he heard me talk all day. And those guys really enjoyed what they heard. And it got to the point where, you know, David was like, I guess there's something here. I don't have any money this year, but stick around for next year. So I came back in 15, which is a beautiful year as far as weather was concerned. I mean, it was really perfect on the pier that year. And I I just went for it, and I was honestly underprepared, but I just, I just dove in. And uh, the response from that event is really what actually got me into announcing because David had people stop him in the streets of Red Hook and be like, hey, man, The race was really cool this year, but that guy on the mic made it really exciting. (laughs) And so that sort of unrequested uh, feedback, I think, really stuck with David. And um, I think he actually liked it, too. But it's really different when somebody else stops you and and tells you about it. And that's really where he talked to some sponsors and found some money for me to actually start touring around and, and being part of the entire series. So that is my cycling uh history and how it sort of evolved into announcing as it as it is today
0: yeah what other races have you worked on announcing are you is that like your full-time job now
1: no so i would say my full-time job is actually event promotion um we my wife and i casey and i promote races around the country um really at this point we're Super East Coast. Um, and as far as announcing, it's still really my side gig. You know, I, last year I did the Tour of Somerville, which is a big bike race in America for criteriums, like road criterium stuff. And last year I did the Velorama Festival in Colorado, which uh, you are in. And uh, I will be back for that event this year as well. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I've been contacted by some other promoters so far this year but they ha- that hasn't really been finalized so in order not to jinx that I'm not going to say it <laughs> and then other- otherwise I will be doing red hook crits um and then races that we promote uh we promote the Reading Rad Sport Festival in Reading Pennsylvania and that's a really cool event that benefits a nonprofit in Reading PA um and so I announced that event as well, and a few other things in this area, including races at the Velodrome here at the Valley Preferred Cycling Center. So now that I mention it, it sounds like I actually talk, commentate quite a lot, but I feel like it's still my <laughs> a real side gig for me and that I, I have a lot of room to grow in that area.
0: That's for sure. So you mentioned Velorama, and, and I was in that race, and I'm curious like, uh, to get your take on that event
1: you know, I think they've got a lot of really good ideas. The promoter of that event, David Koff, he comes from the music industry and TV side of things. So he's very conscious of putting on a show. And he was also very conscious of the balance sheet. You know, putting on a bike race is expensive. And a lot of times, it's very hard to make what we call direct benefit analysis. So looking at a balance sheet at the beginning when you before you start and then when you get to the end and seeing where the dollars line up. And ideally you at least break even and you've done a really great PR event for something and you're representing your sponsors really well. Um it's very hard to execute. I mean the fact that for example the Red Up Crit has been around now for eleven years in the fashion that it is is tremendous because yeah. it's it's so, so hard to to put things on in that way and and represent your sponsors well and get them to come back um so as far as Bellarama is concerned you know david koff had this really interesting idea of mixing a music festival in with some racing but you know what he really wanted was to figure out a way of having like a uci stage race mixed in with a red hook crit and a red hook crit is such a an amazing unique organism in and of itself and it's this weird like tournament style thing that USA Cycling categorized racing doesn't really do and uh, it just wasn't really he couldn't have all the things that he he wanted but that said he at least laid the groundwork for what will be this year I think a really interesting course Uh, he brought on some local people in Colorado to help him out with some of the course design so it's not going to be the same Uh, oval anymore it's going to be a lot more turns and it's going to be much more integrated with the actual music performance and you know i noticed that the
0: course was actually in the parking lot like almost around the music this year
1: right yeah and that's that's a, a really conscious design standpoint so that we can be part of the show and make cycling not the side act and not sort of this like charity sideshow thing that it is actually part of coming to the festival and and realizing what's going on. So I think there's a lot of potential there, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, of course, as you were in the fixed gear race, right? Um, So, you know, there will be a fixed gear race, and we'll see what happens with that this year. Last year, Scott Persifeld sort of Road away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Scott's a really talented rider. He's, he's, he races a lot on the road and geared bikes. And as far as track bike criteriums, he's done a lot of red hook crits. He's, um, you know, he can definitely handle himself. So I wasn't really that surprised that he was able to, um, do what he did on an oval course oh yeah so the real trick will be to see what happens when there are more turns and and you're required to slow down which is really what makes a fixed gear crit so interesting is when you actually have to slow the bike down
0: yeah that was actually my first fixed gear crit i ever did and i was way under geared
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you remember what you what you gear you ran
0: uh i think i was like 48 15. I, yeah, On that small. course, I could have probably been like a 51-14 or something, easily.
1: Yeah, easily, easily. So, I mean, that's, if you want to get into it, I mean, gear selection is what makes fixed gear crit so fascinating as a whole and as a discipline. And it's something a lot of people don't fully appreciate as far as, as a discipline is concerned. Um, you know, it's this weird, like, hybridization of, track racing and rock criterium racing on the road and it's something that I really love and think is super super cool
0: yeah it's really I mean it's just such a beautiful sport to watch too I just love it so much so I'm curious to get your take on the arc of Red Hook since you've been involved and just kind of get your take on why do you think this sport has grown so much and why it seems like there's like such an explosion, especially of fans, because part of Velo that's really interesting that you were talking about is like how do you get people to come to a race, and it's so hard to make races work in the u s especially on the yeah. grand tour level. What do you think it yeah. is about Red Hook that attracts like thousands of people to just come and watch that race?
1: That's a great question it's It's still relatively unknown, but I do think that a big part of it is the story that David Trimble creates and the you know that focus on the athlete and the focus on how that tournament style is used to build anticipation for the final race of the evening. So earlier, you know, in this conversation today, I, I briefly mentioned, how the tournament style is something that USA Cycling events don't carry through. And I think that's the biggest gap, really, between Red Hook Crit-style events and a USA Cycling traditional criterium event. Because the tournament allows... So I'll just talk from my perspective, which is probably the most appropriate here today. Um, I stand up there at noon starting to talk about heat races. And I get to talk about athletes who have come from all over the world to be here to race their face off. And it's the first race, the first moment where they get to experience this incredible energy and atmosphere. And then that heat race is over because it's short, but like something has happened. Like stories have already started for the day and I can take those stories and, and I, I can build that into the rest of the day. So somebody has a great race in qualifying heat, and then we have to see what happens uh, for them later on. So, for example, uh, Brian Mehens last year, Brian, he runs FixYourCrit.com, and Brian had this knack for winning his heat races all year. So that was sort of an interesting narrative that I got to talk about as far as the beginning part of the day. And then when we got into the feature races, I could sort of call him out. And be like, okay guys, so all this stuff is happening at the front of the race, but let's not forget there's still stuff happening in the middle of the race and let's see where Brian is and hang him out. And so that's not a knock on Brian at all. You know, being in these races is super hard, but it, my point is that it gives us a really interesting narrative for people to follow. And so our, our heat races um, build into the final feature race. That storyline, that arc, is really interesting and that's something that is really hard to replicate in other styles so again not to knock Valorama but since you and I were both there last year you know our fixed gear race was a single race you know there was no sort of build into it there was no narrative into it so it was hard for me to talk about it I talked about Scott because I know Scott um, and I talked about a few of the other athletes who I'd seen at Red Hook before but I didn't have sort of a buildup, you know. I wasn't able to say, "Oh, well, earlier today, this rider had a bad ride. He, he made it. He was in the last chance race, and now he's moved all the way up through to the front." A lot like what happened with Stefan Schaefer last year in Brooklyn. I mean, Stefan flatted in the heat race, so because he had points from last year, he was able to be in the last chance race. He rode to the front of the last chance race, and then let his teammate Iman Lucas win the last chance race, and then so Stefan. Schaefer started in like what was it, 86 position or 96th position on the grid, and then he rides himself back to the front of the race, and then he rides off the front of the race. So like right there, I haven't even gotten to the part where he's in the breakaway and he's riding tactics against Colin Strickland. I've already told this amazing story of a day of an athlete in front of us that it builds so much more into what the spectators get to experience. So. Hopefully those storylines get to come through. Um, that's so there's really that interesting
0: ac- that you mentioned that, because I've yeah. never thought about that before. And it's so oh, true really? when you mention it. I mean, I mean, like, I know when you say it, I know that that's what I was experiencing whenever I, like, watch coverage of a Red Hook or look at coverage of a Red Hook or, or whatnot. But... Yeah, like hearing you say that about the the story being told throughout the day, yeah, that's such an interesting take on it. I think that's incredibly important to making a race interesting. And I think that that's why kind of Grand Tour races attract a lot more eyes than like a regular criterium.
1: Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. So, you know, the Grand Tour has this opportunity of building that story. And so when a rider has... Um, a single good day it's we understand that context because we have seen him have multiple bad days in front of that you know and that so we can celebrate this one rider's single good day in a grand tour um, along with celebrating you know the overall gc winners victory there because there's story there's context there's depth there's there's emotion involved in what's happening in front of you and Those are the pieces that David Trimble really figured out in a way. And some of it a little bit by accident, honestly. Like some of it he was just trying to get people to be on the track longer. But once he sees it and he realizes it, he really understands how to harness it and and maximize its potential. And then you know, he's got Jonah Burns there to really sort of create this design and depth and presentation around it that just really steps it up beyond so many other events out there.
0: Yeah, and that's part of the reason, like, as well, like, with the tours and stuff, like, I was watching Perry Roubaix last week, and, and, you know, you see, like, a Peter Sagan or somebody, and you watch that story throughout the day, and then it's also about knowing the characters, and that's part of the reason why I did this podcast, is just, like, hopefully trying to get an insight in who these racers are, and so many people in Red Hook come from so many different backgrounds, and I think that's what's so amazing about it.
1: Yeah, and I do hope that that continues. I mean, one of the beautiful parts about Red Hook is it truly used to be something where a bike messenger could rock up and be competitive. And, you know, you had guys like Neil Besnick and Dan Chabanoff, and even myself at a certain point, like that second and third year that I was there. um, You know, we were these guys that would come in. We had a lot of road racing experience, and, you know, other guys were there that were, Super good at handling their bike, and they rode track bikes all the time. And so that mesh, uh, once you get into the criterium itself, was so amazing because I, I actually remember you spoke with David Trimble in his podcast with you a few weeks ago about the um, the sort of sub stories that are within a, a bike race, and <laughs> that, you know that you you don't know all these sub stories. If you're not already familiar with the characters, and I don't know, I just find it really amazing to we get to mix um, messengers with, with pro riders. As the race continues to get larger, there's always that little bit of a risk that you lose that component. But I think that there's a natural evolution of the race there itself as well. So it's not a bad thing that Ivan Cortina came in last year and... You know, one in Milan. It's actually a, a really beautiful evolution of the entire sport, showing that it's getting its own legs, it's finding its own traction, and it's um, you know, it's it's maturing. You know, it's gone from this really. Uh...
0: So, if there's a so to anyone listening, if there's a weird difference in audio, we've been having major connection problems. So. <laughs> But it seems a a recurring theme right now in this conversation has been stories and stories of the Red Hook, stories of the people behind it. So I'm just kind of curious to get some of your favorite stories from your history with Red Hook.
1: Oh man, there are so many amazing stories over the years, whether it's, um, you know, from the very beginning when Casey won to like my first experience, um, showing up at the second red hook uh this guy neil bezdek who was a messenger that nobody had ever heard of ended up riding away from us um you know that was that was such an amazing i think like the stories that come out of it are are the surprises right and these moments where you think you know what's going to happen because of xyz and then it something gets completely flipped. Like the script gets flipped, as they say. And that's what makes it such an amazing sporting event where you just never know. You know, that's why it's a bike race. You know, Kiera McVitie actually said that uh, last year where you just never know what's going to happen. You. That's why we pin a number on, we choose our gear, we get on the starting line and go for it. And that's also why I tell everybody to... Never assume that you're gonna have a good day or a bad day. You just get out there and you race and make sure you do the best you can. because all those stories that we all talk about and romanticize, it's again, it's just those all of those unexpected moments. So um, right. let's talk about like Colin Strickland, right? His first win in Milan that I was there for. Uh, he was this kid from Texas that was super strong. Uh, But known mainly for racing on gravel and doing these really big road races, you know, getting second or third at at road nationals, which in America is a really long, hard, hot race with a lot of climbing. And I mean, it's not a crit, you know, so the race is happening. The race is happening. And I called the mid race preem. And. It happened. I don't remember who won, actually, the mid-race preem, but Colin countered, and he just went away. And that was the year, like, Ivan Ravaoli was in the leader's jersey, and he really wanted to win. And there are a lot of other Italians there who, you know, wanted to prove themselves. And it was this, you know, basically it's the Italians looking at each other. And this kid from Texas on an Aventon bike rides away and and like I was talking about it and like Colin's gap just starts getting bigger and bigger and I start like calling it like you guys seriously have to race your bike or you've lost this race (laughs) and you know it was and I nobody could believe it like nobody could believe that Colin could come in and upset Uh, Yvonne, who was a tremendous rider. I mean, he was on Sonia Duval. He was super dominant that year in the Red Hook Crit series. Uh, I mean, Colin came in and just surprised the hell out of everybody. And that created a beautiful story. And that was definitely one of my uh, more favorite moments of of coming in. Um, But I also liked last year. So let's look at recent history. Barcelona was such a cool race on both the men's and women's side. Ash Dubin and Inara Busto racing against each other in a breakaway. I mean, dude, talk about history of the Red Hook Crit coming together and two very different lifestyles racing together. Like Ash Dubin is kind of a, a big deal in the design world. I mean, she, she's in charge of some very big projects for frog design and she has a lot of responsibilities in her life outside of, of racing. And INATA is an amazing athlete. She's essentially a full-time athlete, but she also uh, does dog joring, which is really cool. If you guys don't know what that is, it's, uh, she hooks her dogs up to her mountain bike and then like, they sort of like work together to like do this race and it's super, super cool. So you <laughs> check out Ainata Bustos Instagram for that stuff. Um, you know, those two athletes riding together in Barcelona, I mean, Inada is – she's won more Red Hot Crits than anybody, and for good reason. You know, she's a phenomenal athlete. Ash Dubin, she won in Milan uh, in 14, I believe. Um, she's always up and near the podium, and that race came down to the final turn. You know, and Ash – I honestly, I thought Inada was going to win. Like, I, I, I'd i actually witnessed Inada lose to Casey – in Barcelona number three, maybe, um, where Casey took the inside line on Inata, coming into the final sort of sequence of turns, and Casey was able to stay in front of Inata the whole way to the finish, so Casey won the race. Um, I was like, dude, no way is going to make the same mistake um, here in Barcelona number five. But, you know, Ash just, like, shot the turn, where she just, she knew that she could ride that inside line really hot, and she just went for it, dude. And it was amazing. Like, talk about that whole idea of it's a bike race. You never know what's going to happen. Like, Ash realized that uh, through and through. And then it happened again in the men's race where <laughs> David Van Urd. David Van Urd is, like, basically full-time medical student becoming a doctor. And he's racing against Davide Vigano and Filippo 14 and, like, these really big Italian dudes. And, like, <laughs> and David just, like, shot the gap. On the last turn, and like, I mean, David had a fantastic race overall, but like when it when he did that on the last lap after racing so hard all day and then coming across the line first, I mean again, another upset, another beautiful story, and really uh, evidence of of how cool a Red Hook crit race can be because of all these different lifestyles that come together and all these different racing styles that come together. Um, for these really short, hard efforts on technical courses. I mean, I just, it's, I don't know. It gives me chills just talking about it.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I remember even coming into last year, there was that ESPN documentary about, you know, the feud between, uh, Colin Strickland and was, was it Stefan Schaefer? Was it,
1: um, I guess, was that the documentary about Brooklyn? Yeah. Where they just talked about the men's race. Yeah. I mean that was that was sort of the storyline that occurred there, and that became a good narrative to talk about where uh, Colin had won a, a series. What was it? Four races in a row. So essentially, from that Milan story that I told, then he went Brooklyn, London, Barcelona, and um, so then he comes into Milan and got, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, the guy's unbeatable! What's going to happen?" Oh my God, this is like, it's going to be a disaster if he wins again because nobody wants the same guy to win over everything and just stomp it. And then Schaefer came in and just ripped it in (laughs) Milan. And that was awesome. So then we got into, you know, the following year in Brooklyn where the ESPN or NBC documentary, whatever that was. Um, that narrative was interesting because we had all that backstory to talk about with Colin coming in and he sort of wanted to reclaim his throne and Schaefer hadn't raced Brooklyn before, but he just won in Milan. So, you know, these two guys, and then very different backgrounds too. So again, Colin comes from gravel and he's a real hard dude. You know, like he goes out, if you look at Colin Strickland's Instagram and his Strava stuff, I mean, he goes out for hours just riding into the headwind. It's like he and G- he looks at the wind map, and he's like, where's the headwind? I'm going to go that way today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just crazy stuff. And then Schaefer, um, Schaefer had a background being a professional six-day rider, so a lot of tactical nuances that he understands that he brought into that race. And I just love that narrative that, that occurred there. Um, yeah. but I thought it was cool that, that Stefan won, actually, just using his, his tactics and showing that, like, that's a nuance of red hook crits too. It's not just a strong guy that wins. It's also the, the tactical rider who has his day as well.
0: Yeah. I thought that was super interesting. And then, and then we go into uh, 2017 and like, it did not play out like most people thought it would. Cause it comes back to what you were saying about, you never know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Honestly, dude, last year was one of the best years ever because we had eight winners. So every single, we had four races and on the men and women's side, we had different winners in every single race. And to me, that shows just how cool the depth of athlete is. But it also shows that, again, getting back to course design and and sort of scheduling and calendar stuff that's on the event promoter side, mm-hmm. um, every course is different, and it and it favors different riders. So like Milan is notorious for being a speed track. So, you know, riders will ride a larger gear, for example, because you just don't have to quite slow down as much. Whereas Barcelona and Brooklyn have hairpin turns. So you need to have a gear that you can actually back down and then jump back on and accelerate. So there are different nuances that occur there. And to me, that's really cool course design. Like course design is so, so, so important in fixed gear crits. Because you have to slow down. It's yeah, it's just great.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts now on. By the time this episode comes out, will it'll be Brooklyn number eleven is this weekend, and I'm just kind of curious to get your take as somebody who's been there and seen all these things and announced all these races on how you see this season playing out who you're looking to or who you're looking forward to see racing even i don't know where do you see this season going
1: i think this season will be interesting brooklyn's always tough on my side of things because we get all these new players in that i don't have a a lot of backstory on and you also have this if you look at the history of brooklyn there's always this reshuffling of the hierarchy that occurs so riders who are dominant in the prior year, sometimes have a harder time in the second year. I mean, um, you know, Ivan Rafaoli, when I first started commentating, came in, he won in Brooklyn, and he had a good year. And then we got it sort of into the Colin Strickland era, um, and then that sort of transitioned into this multitude of, of riders from last year. So um, I think, you know, we're going to be seeing guys like Davide Viganò who won the series last year. He did not win an individual race, though. Um, but I noticed over the winter that uh, Vigano was racing with the Italian national team for their team pursuit. So he's definitely sort of getting back into formal training. And uh, if he has some speed in his legs and he's comfortable with the hairpin turns, Vigano could definitely be a rider to, to look for. But, you know, I can't get out. Filippo 14, 14 will be riding for Team Bahu Amer Crit Life again, and 14 really is good right now, he's on some top form, he just won a race in Europe a few weeks ago, he's training a lot, so as far as physicality, he certainly has it, and the fact that he's already won, he won in London last year, um, once you learn how to win a Red Hook Crit, it's just a matter of figuring it out um, on the different courses. But that said, let's talk about reshuffling of the deck. So Angus Morton, I think Iman Lucas will actually be one to watch as well because Iman is super strong. He's racing in Europe, and he's also done a full season now. Justin Williams, you know, Williams is so interesting. He loves the argy-bargy side of (laughs) racing. Um, So he could be one to watch if he doesn't let himself drift too far back in the peloton. Like, sometimes Williams forgets how short the races are if you will like I watched him in Barcelona twice now where he's he's good he's good he's good as far as pack position and then he drifts back a bit and then the race sort of accelerates away from him and and he's strong enough to get back through it and be a factor but he burns a lot of energy doing it so hopefully he remembers how short our races are um, Martino Pochanti. Just did some good stuff in Italy. Um, the Italian Fix Series has been good for him because it's giving him some good race legs underneath him. But then we'll go down further a little bit. Like Guy Verhoen, uh, he's, he's on Team Wit. Uh, he could be an outside contender, but Guy has... He, he's a kid who's, like, really learning quickly. And I watched him improve a lot from race to race to race last year. So I kind of looked at him. Uh, Robin Gemperle... Robin is a Swiss rider who used to be on the Swiss national team for mountain bikes. He's raced world cups on the mountain bike. Um, the asterisk to Robin this year is that he's in architecture school now and he also started a coffee business. So, you know, I don't, that, that's a lot. I I went to architecture school too. So I know how like crazy that can be. Um, then some other guys who are like super strong, not quite sure how they're going to be. Um, only because they haven't raced Red Hook Chris before, but like Bruno Langois, a French rider who I've raced against a ton in the U.S. when I was racing full time. Uh, Bruno is super super strong, but I just don't know how he's going to be. Um, Michael Sheehan on Meteor Giordana, Jake McGee on Aventon Factory Team, Brandon Fury on Stan Ridge. Like those riders are going to be really interesting um, to watch because they come with a lot of pedigree, a lot of history but no real Red Hook crit experience. So that deck is going to certainly be shuffled. Our women's race is going to be really interesting. Again, this is the first year that we are actually eliminating women riders from the field in qualifying. It won't be a lot, but I think it's a really nice precedent to start to set to show that we're moving the race forward. You know, there's an evolution occurring. Um, Ash Dubin and Sammy Runnels will be back. Those two working together could be really good. Yeah, I'm Um,
0: really interested to see that.
1: Yeah. You know, Sammy had a fantastic cyclocross nationals this past year. I think she got seventh in the elite women's race. So Sammy's starting to really show a depth of fitness that she hasn't before. She won her qualifying heat last year in Brooklyn, but, uh, you know, usually she's either in the past, she'd either been working for a different rider like Eleonora Sariva on, on Aventon or some other rider. So, Maybe Sammy has a chance here to to be ridden for, you know, maybe Ash will ride for Sammy or either way, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, always looking forward to having Rafa Lemieux coming back. You now she's riding on specialized rocket espresso with Carla Nefria. Both those riders super capable. Carla learned a lot last year. If she or if either of those two riders is in the mix at the end, they could definitely give Inara El Busto. Or uh, Eleanor Sariva, a run for their money. And then, you know, looking at some other duos in here, like Brooke Phillips and Poppy Thompson. Um, really interesting duo. Brooke Phillips has had some of the worst luck that we've seen in the women's peloton over the years. She was crashed out in Brooklyn number nine. Uh, right at the end which is super unfortunate because her position was really good um she had some other bad luck just as far as mechanicals and some other stuff over the years so i'd really like to see uh brooke phillips have a clean race and her teammate poppy thompson has a lot of experience on the road as well so i'd love to see that um tegan who you've interviewed but already i saw tegan race here in Trexlertown last year super super strong man like tegan If she can handle the bike and she's comfortable on the 180s, uh, she will definitely be one that has a strong sprint at the end. And then, uh, you know, Lisa Warner, she's a uh, former Olympian. She raced a full season last year. Uh, She'll be riding for Aventon factory team, so she'll either be an asset for Eleonora or at least be somebody they put in the break. And then lastly, we'll talk about our Italians. um, Elena Valentini. And also, uh, Giorgio Frageri, those two riders have been doing a lot. Um, Valentini, uh, she was on the podium in Milan at the end of last year, so she definitely started to figure out the races. And then Frageri, I don't know. I've never seen her race before, but I did notice that she has been winning races in Italy so far this spring. So looks like she's coming into the race with a bit of form, and that could be really interesting. Oh, man. Yeah. So much yeah, man. So, <laughs> I know. I really, you know, so I do a lot of homework, right? And like my style of commentating is, I, I I'm, uh, I research writers as best I can without being an outright stalker, <laughs> right? You know, and be, because I get up there and I've just memorized as much as I can because I don't have time to research anybody, and you know, I'm. I'm, when I see a rider going, I have to be able to pull out what they've done and, and know what they've know their histories before anybody else. So I spend a lot of time getting prepared for these races because I also think it's really important to show respect to the athletes. You know, I, this is about <laughs> the athletes. This, this is about talking about what these athletes are doing here today and celebrating that. And that's also why I dress up. You know, it's, some people laugh at it, but, like, my tie – And, and my coordination with Jonah Burns' designs, it's, it's sort of like me getting dressed for work, you know, like I, I take it seriously and like I put on that and I'm holding the mic and I'm, I'm, I'm almost somebody else, you know, like I'm, I'm very much a part of, of what's going on and I'm just like stream of consciousness going for it and using all this research that I do for weeks to make that happen and to get the spectators involved and and do the best I can to represent the athletes who are out there killing themselves to be on the podium at the Red Hook Crit.
0: Yeah, and you know, like, I think that's incredibly important because I've actually never even been to a Red Hook Crit, but when I was really getting into this style of racing, watching the videos on YouTube with your commentary over it, made it helped me learn so much about who all these people were. And I think that that's that's such a huge part of making any sport interesting and viable.
1: Right. Yeah. The stories, you know, we come a lot, we've, we've talked a lot today about stories and how important that is because the, that's how our spectators come to appreciate what they're seeing. You know, if they think that it's just a bunch of machines out there riding around, you know, then that's, that's not interesting. We need to create those backstories and understand the, the rivalries, the, the people who are working full-time jobs, the people who are messengers, the people who are doctors, the people who ride full-time, like, that's that's our depth. That's our narrative, and that's what keeps our sport really cool and, and really accessible.
0: I agree. Well, I think that uh, this is a good place to end it. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we head out? Yeah, I'd
1: just like to thank everybody for being part of the Red Hook Crit family over the years. You know, David Trimble works incredibly hard to bring the world together a few times a year, and, you know, everybody that supports the race, it it means something, you know, not just to, to me or, or or sponsor, but also to David and to, to the whole Red Hook Crit family who spend their lives trying to make sure that... We give everybody um, opportunity, but also a place to gather and a safe place to make friends and, and have lifelong friendships um, with each other. I mean, sport is an amazing thing where you can have opportunities to kind of go at each other's throat, <laughs> but then you're, we're all sort of in this together. And at the end of the day, you know, we go to the after parties and we we buy each other beers and um, that community and that support, I think, is what makes everything that we do worth it. And everything that we that that David does um, really, really special. So, uh, yeah, just thank you to everybody for all of your support over the years.
0: Where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: <laughs> you guys can find me on Instagram. I'm V Gabe Lloyd. On Twitter, I'm Gabe Lloyd, and uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, redhookcrit.com man, that's, that's where we're at.
0: Cool. Yeah, well, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, if you want to come back on and do any recaps this season, let me know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be really great to come back in and every once in a while uh, give an update on what the riders are doing, or at least what the perspective from my side of things is.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I had about a million more questions I wanted to ask you anyway, but yeah, this was great. (laughs) No, it was really fun. So thanks again. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Josh. that does it for another episode of save the track bike thank you so much for tuning in find us on instagram at save the track bike save the track shout out to fixgearcrit.com and thank you so much to our sponsor hexagon cycles please go to their website buy something use the code sttb and then it'll help out the podcast Also, if you want to help out the podcast, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and keep on the lookout, because this or next week, I will be launching a web store. We'll have a couple shirt designs, a dad hat design, we'll have a hoodie, and that'll be it for now, but in the future, we'll definitely do more if this goes well. So, really hoping it works, so definitely keep on the lookout on Instagram. The music is Slide Girl by Vitamin Pets.